How are we doing today? Man, that mic's, that music sound was short. Short people. Hard to trust a short person. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, my name is Nathan Loxley. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, man, it's an honor to be here and to get to, to uh, share with you today and teach God's word. Um, I have a confession to make. I'm in no way worthy to preach this word. Because in, in deep in here, I'm still broken. Just like you. Most of the time I feel like I'm a hypocrite. I have doubts. And to be thought that be a mouthpiece for the living God is it's almost terrifying. Today we, uh, we come to a passage in the book of 1 John that's a little different. It's kind of tough, and there'll be some moments that I have to say some really hard things, and I've been scared all week to say them. All week long, spiritual warfare Attacks, attacks, attacks. Physical, emotional, spiritual, betrayal, like all of my week. Show up this morning. Computers are crashing. Ben's not muting mics. <laughs> Had to get him on that. You know what it means? There's something that doesn't want y'all to hear this today. But we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So I want to pray for you and for me too. And just know like today we trust this book and Jesus himself. Pray with me. God, you are good. And you've shown us the glory of your goodness in your son, Jesus. So I pray that here and now your Holy Spirit would work powerfully in this room, in our hearts. God, to bring about transformation with power to save. And God, the, the things that I pray for these people in their hearts, God, I pray that they would hear your voice. They would not turn a deaf ear, a hardened heart to it. God, I pray for myself. I'm just very, very aware right now of my inadequacies. So I'm emboldened when I remember that strength is made perfect in my weakness. This is for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Started off kind of heavy, huh? Today we're in the book of 1 John, and uh, I don't know about you, but this is a fun book. Um, John is an interesting author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the one thing that you can see over and over and over with this guy is he is passionate, like super passionate. You know why? Because he just keeps repeating himself over and over and over, and there's always a little change in content. There's always a little change in direction, but it's over and over and over. And we see, get to see these really amazing verses and these cool passages about darkness and about light. 
We see these passages about our, our hearts, about the world. And today, we see this passage about what to be warned of, what to be wary of. And today, that's what he's doing. He's in a situation where he is um, away from the church, and he's writing to them because he's heard that there are people who are trying to teach them something that just ain't quite right about Jesus. So his plea over and over and over is, Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh. And he's from God and he is God. He's been from the beginning. This is the Christ. And he calls us to believe in him. So if you want to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, um, that's where I'm supposed to start. It's 1 John chapter 4, but I don't like to follow rules. Uh, and I like to stir things up. So I'm going to be a really crazy guy and start a verse earlier in chapter 3, um, 24. The, uh, it's funny, when all the verse numbers and chapter markings were made for the, the Bible, it happened like way long time ago. Way, way long time ago. And so they kind of, it wasn't like the apostles who did it, right? They just wrote, like no, no paragraphs, no spaces, they just wrote. And so it's these medieval scribes that end up putting all these markers in here. So sometimes the splits aren't quite right. So we're going to start in 324, and it says this, <clears throat> whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Hear that? Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And for the first time in the book, we see this word spirit, a capital big S. We're introduced to the spirit of the living God. We call him the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the very essence of God's will and his power, the one who lifts up the sun so that men can see that opens our eyes and our hearts to see truth who gives us all wisdom and understanding, who is our helper, who is our comforter, who is our anointing, our guarantee, our inheritance, the down payment of our inheritance. It's the evidence of our salvation. It's a pretty big deal. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in a, a uh, denomination and a tradition where we definitely affirmed uh, who the Holy Spirit was in his existence, but we didn't like talking about him a whole lot. Because, you know, that meant that we'd have to, like, speak 15 different languages and jump around like E.T. or something, you know? And so that was our opinion of it. That's what I saw on television, too. I don't know if you're close to my age. TBN kind of came around when I was young. And so there was a lot of uh, wild stuff. In fact, you should probably go look up Benny Hinn and uh, a little compilation that he's got where he's slaying people in the spirit with a lightsaber. Um, you're welcome. All right, let's crack into this, this chapter. Beloved, first word, beloved. It gets their attention again. It's like me saying ladies and gentlemen, but it's more than that. It's, a, it's an endearing term. He's getting their attention. So we know he's kind of saying, hey, pay attention. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. 
Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. D.A. Carson says this, in light of what John opens with in this chapter, he says, there is an urgent need for Christians not to be gullible. It's easy to confuse the spirit world with what is genuinely spiritual. He's saying, don't just believe everything. Test every spirit. Question every teachings. See, what's happening right now, and this word spirits, okay, is referring to the demonic evil powers that are speaking to and influencing these false prophets. See, what's going on is the church is brand new, brand new, and they don't have this, right? And there's only a few apostles, and they go about the world, and they're preaching the gospel, and people are coming to the knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ, and they're, they're making, being made alive, and they're starting to gather together. But then an apostle has to leave because he's called to another city to do the same. And he leaves them there, and he has to entrust them to stay true to his teachings. But we know how the world is. We know that people love to take advantage of a situation to benefit themselves. And so what's happened is that there's swept in, swept in this movement, and it was a, it's a pseudo-Christian movement that comes around about this time. The ideas have been kind of brewing and stirring. It eventually gets huge in the second and the third century. Influences so much thought, and there's probably more of this cult, false teaching around you and has been around you in your life than you realize. It's called Gnosticism. This group that comes along and says, we'll get there. We'll get there, what they says. The apostles, after they've done that, they're claiming that, he's, that Jesus is the incarnate son of God. God in flesh, a real man, full man, full deity, pre-existing to eternity, righteous, a perfect sacrifice to atone for the sins of you and for me. This is the basic foundational gospel teachings. But then the devil starts his own movement. The devil starts his own movement, and he doesn't send people out to say, hey, don't believe that Jesus stuff. Don't believe that Jesus guy. I think we have this kind of duality understanding of good and evil. We would think that Satan's like main thing would be going, Jesus is wrong. He's terrible. He's the worst. Don't go near him. He's awful. It's not how he works. That's not his tactics. He sends people out to actually say different. He sends people out to say, no, believe Jesus. So believe him, but you probably need to believe this as well. He sends them out to say, acknowledge Jesus Christ as this thing, uh, but not quite what the apostles have claimed him to be. See, We have to understand something, and this is the reason that there's been so much crazy stuff in this week. There's crazy stuff going on. This is what your enemy, 
does not want you to know, does not want you to understand and to be able to identify. This whole passage about spiritual discernment, me and you trying to figure out what is right and wrong, what is true and what is error. His tactic is he's offering an alternative for Jesus. See, he's offering a counterfeit Jesus, not the opposition, the counterfeit. And he says, you know, they were close to getting this Jesus thing right, but they forgot this one little thing. But, but, but lucky for you, God told me what it is. It's that Jesus, he's one special God, but God in flesh? Eh, I don't know about that. And through the, through the false prophet's mouth, he subtly, subtly works and moves and weaves to plant seeds of doubt, to erode your confidence in the truth and what the apostles have said. Guys, this morning, what we need to be like scared of, aware of, is not all the little things that we were maybe taught when we were younger in different traditions. Well, you can't be gambling and you can't be drinking and you can't be smoking, no R-rated movies. That is not how Satan is working in the church. Satan is working by saying, oh man, that is great stuff, but what about this one little thing? Did God really say that? Have you heard that before? Did God really say that if you ate of that tree that you would die? In the book of Exodus, when Moses comes in, he perform a sign and miracle through God, and what would happen? Pharaoh's musicians, yeah, that's something like Pharaoh's magicians would step in and do the exact same sign and wonder. Satan would work in them and do the exact same thing. And you know what that caused? It caused Pharaoh to harden his heart and not let my people go, right? Over and over and over, just a little voice that says, is that completely true? And your enemy doesn't want you to know it. Because he's not trying to lead you astray by taking you on a 90-degree angle away from everything else. He's not trying to just completely turn you around into the depths of wickedness and immorality. No, 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 no. He is trying to seduce you and deceive you one degree at a time. And little by little, we stray from the truth. We stray from the path, the way. Matthew 7, in verses 13 through 15, it says this. Enter by the narrow gate. This is Jesus speaking. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Stop right there. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. He's not saying it's difficult. It would be difficult to lead you to destruction, right? If destruction meant that you had to dress up in a clown suit. If Satan was like, don't believe that Jesus guy, dress up in a clown suit. He'd be like, you're ridiculous, go away. You're stupid. He'd never get at you. But if he said, hey, hey, you just lost your job. Does God really love you? As much as he says he does.
Somebody just betrayed you or slandered you. Should you really offer them and forgive them that much? Man, they really hurt you. Maybe you lost a loved one, which I know many of us have in this couple of years. Maybe you start to doubt that God is good just a little. And that little tiny voice changes your path by just a degree. And see, as that happens more and more and more, all of a sudden we say, man, I don't know if I believe any of it now. And I've seen this happen. Have you? I have friends that this has happened to. I have friends that were a part and members of this church that this has happened to. And they didn't just run away from the faith. It's just drifted. And a little more and a little more and a little more. And they kept believing a lie and being deceived. And that's why in the very next verse, in verse 15, Jesus says, hey, beware of false prophets. These people who are teaching you, completely wrong. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. See, these false prophets, these little voices, maybe these teachers, and this is a huge problem and it has been for years. Obviously, it's happening here and it's a huge problem. But these false prophets, they are not obvious. They don't look like big, scary monsters. That's what this is saying. They don't even appear to be a threat. They look good. They sound good. They dress right. It's basically everything opposite of me. That's why you can trust me. They exude confidence. People love to be around them. They're charismatic in their, in their character. They speak so well. And it's so nice to listen to them. People love to listen to their teachings. Joel Beek says this. For us, when we're testing the spirits, see, the test isn't whether something looks good or feels good, but it's whether it is good. It's not whether it looks true, but whether it is true. And all across this country, right now as we speak, there are pulpits filled with energetic, magnetic, charismatic speakers, men and women, who are teaching these things and using the God's holy scripture and teaching to all these people and telling them the things that make them feel great and people are running into the doors to hear it. We have this concept as Christians that all of these kind of like false teachings and stuff like that, and if we could ever be affected by them, would happen outside the doors of a church. That's not what this passage is about. He's saying, beware of the people who sound like me, but aren't. It's tricky. So I'll ask this question right here now. What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? I could list the people that are just, I doubt, right? False prophets. There are many. They are many. Some of them are leading two or three people astray, and some of them are leading 
thousands and thousands and maybe millions. Pastors who've walked away from what is really true to preach this adapted gospel that suits the people that come to them so they gain something from it, whether it's power, control, status, money. They have found a way to get what they want. They have listened to the enemy. And it doesn't sound much different than what we would say on this very platform. Beware of the false prophets. Beware of them. They're not what they seem. They are ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. Acts 20, verse 28 through 31 says this. And, and this is Paul. This is a crazy conversation because this is the last conversation that he has with the churches, like face to face. He's in the church of Ephesus. He's with the elders of Ephesus. And he's about to head to Rome. He's going, buddy. He's also imprisoned, and he's marching toward his death. And when he gets to Ephesus, there's some daughters of a, one of the elders there who the Holy Spirit has given them the gift of prophecy, and they tell Paul, hey, if you go to Rome, you're going to die. And he said, I know, but I have to. I can't not. The Spirit tells me to go. I'm going. The coolest part about this, and I had a conversation this week about with someone, by him marching straight to his death, he got an audience with the emperor of Rome. He got to stand in front of the emperor and share that Jesus is the Christ, God himself. How cool is that? We're not talking about a president. We're not talking about a dictator. We're talking about the emperor who says he is God on earth. The Roman Empire was massive, and its influence was sprawling. And this little, probably little, very nerdy, Paul's a nerd, right? And he loves to talk a lot. It's like me, just shorter, probably. He might not have good eyesight. We don't know. We don't know if that's it. He makes tents for a living, for goodness sake. He's a speck. He's nothing. Standing in front of the emperor, getting to preach to him. God is powerful, right? He says, I'm going anyway. So he says, before I leave, let me tell you something. Verse 20, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Pay careful attention to yourselves, he's talking to the elders, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, he's saying, after I leave, I know this is going to happen. Fierce wolves are going to come in among you, and they will eat every sheep, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves even, even some of you here, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So he says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul has been there for three years. He was there for three whole years and pretty much all he was doing was fighting the wolves off. Protecting the sheep. Making sure that sound doctrine and the gospel was being proclaimed as God had revealed it. He was busy fighting sheep, fighting wolves. 
And he's saying, it's not if they come, it's when they come. And some of you, you elders who are on this path to righteousness, keeping God's commandments, leading the flock, some of you will be led astray by these twisted things. There are churches with closed doors all over this country, shut down. They had to quit preaching the gospel, and at one time they were proclaiming the gospel proudly and boldly, and people were coming to know the Lord. What happened? They didn't hear the warning like Paul said. They didn't hear the warning like John is telling us here. They weren't discriminant with the issues of Christian doctrine. They weren't discerning and rightly dividing the word of truth like a good workman should do. See, they started to begin to say that, you know, there's some things, they just don't matter. Like, ah, that's okay. That's not a big deal. Yeah, man, hey, I know, you're sinning and it's tough and you keep falling. But, you know, grace. God's grace and he's never going to run out of it. It's fine. Doesn't sound bad. Hey, let me, I'll, I'll put it this way. God's grace is ultimate. And there is nothing that you can do for him to pull it away from you. The, as much as you could sin, he has grace and forgiveness to forgive you of that sin. But does that mean that you should keep on sinning? No, because that is the mark, not of a believer and follower of Christ, but someone in the darkness, someone of the world and not of God. Just the little tweak. They began to say that certain things didn't matter. They started to say that the Bible could be interpreted any way you choose. And if you feel like that's what God means, like wants to, this scripture to mean to you, that's perfectly fine. They started to just water down the authority of what Jesus has done and said, just little by little. And it seemed harmless, but now the places that were once thriving gospel centers are now either wedding venues or strip malls. Second Peter 2.1 says, but false prophets also arose among the people. And what he's referring to here is while the prophets in the Old Testament were proclaiming Jesus, were speaking of this thing that's coming, while this power was happening, at the exact same time, false prophets are there. And what he means by this is while things were really good, while those churches were thriving, while they were getting it, while they were going after it, while they were teaching and like being bold and preaching the word like it should be, it's then that the false prophets came in, not after while they're doing it, when everything seemed great, that's when they're there. And Second Peter says, just like that, hey church, just as there will be false teachers among you, just like they were with them, they'll be with you. And they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. See that? Secretly. Shh, quiet. Subtle. On the breeze. Even, to design, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So let me say this. This is why it is so important, church, for you to pray for the elders, the overseers, the shepherds, the pastors of this church. This is why you, we need you so much. Because it's easy to be led astray. 
It's easy to be led astray. And there is not a single one of us, this, these scriptures would say, that are immune from being led astray. And that, that's right. I'm telling you that there is not any of us capable of avoiding being a victim of a wolf. And that's why we need you. We covet your prayers. So why in the world, after I said that, would you trust a single word that's coming out of my mouth? Seems a whole lot harder to trust me when I tell you that there's a possibility that I'm not to be trusted, right? Right? How can you know? I could be leading you astray right now. I got my wife that way. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She, she had had eye surgery and uh, yeah, didn't see well. Put it, put it this way. It's kind of like seeing the captain of the flight that you're on and he, he boards the plane wearing a parachute. And you're like, um, um, it's like that. So how can you trust me? And the real big question is, who and what can you actually trust? And how can you know that if a spirit is of God or not? I mean, heck, we're only in verse one. And you're like, is you gonna preach two hours? No, we're about to roll. See, it's the content of the message that you're hearing, the content of the teaching, what the spirit is actually saying. That's how we can know if a spirit, if a teaching, if a, someone speaking to you is trying to lead you astray or to God. Verse two, by this you know the spirit of God. He lays it out pretty easy. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now the reason he says it that way is because Gnosticism taught that Jesus was not, was not fully God. He was an exemplary human being or maybe an angel because they were teaching and saying that everything material is evil, even the body. And enlightenment, knowledge and understanding is the way that we are saved, that we get back to God. Now this Jesus guy, he's the one who revealed that knowledge to us, but God couldn't have died on a cross. So they're questioning the very fabric of the deity of Jesus. So that's why John addresses it and he says, Jesus has come in the flesh. He is God. If there is a teaching that you can trust, Jesus, the Jesus of the scriptures, the eternally present and living God, the word who spoke the world into existence in this whole universe, became flesh, lived a perfect life, born of a virgin, and this life righteous to God, he died on a cross. He died on a cross to take the wrath that we deserved and judgment of a holy God and was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and, he's a, and he has been put in authority over everything. That Jesus, if that Jesus is at the central of a teaching, the fullness of who he is, who he says he is, who the Bible says he is, you can trust it. Verse three, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now is in the world already. And like before, we've I spent so much time just talking about the tactics of these false prophets and teachers. It is not easy to find it and to discern whether it's true or not. I'll call this false prophet out in a heartbeat. This week I was shown a video by my lovely sister. 
as we were talking about this passage. The Catholic Church released this video. And they said that the basic message and truth of the gospel, this is basic and truth of the gospel is this, to love God and to love people. Now, what did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These two are the same. It's the greatest commandment. That's the greatest commandment. So when they say that the gospel, the gospel, the message of the gospel is to love God and to love people, I would agree that loving God and loving people is what we should do. But the message foundationally of the gospel is not just to love God, love people. That is not the way, the truth, and the life. That is not the way unto God and unto salvation. And it never was because there was not a single mention of the fact that the reason that Jesus had to come in the first place is because you and because I are deeply, deeply broken and flawed. We are spiritually dead because of our willing, treasonous sin against a holy God. And he has wrath and fire and judgment for sin. But Jesus came and stood in that place and on that cross, drank that cup of wrath for you. And now you don't just have to love him for it and that's it. No, he says, huh. It's going to take a little more than that. He says, you're going to have to die to live. You're going to have to say, I give everything. You can't just call him Jesus the Savior. You have to call him Jesus the Lord and bow at the knee and submit to his law, his authority, to keep his commandments like 1 John 3, 24 said, because those who have kept his commandments are from God. He abides in them and they abide in him. That's the gospel message. Not love God, love people, and you're good. See, the gospel is offensive to sin. It's offensive. It hurts to hear it. Because when we hear it, we have to look inside of ourselves. And so the one thing they don't want to say is, hey, by the way, you're going to have to give everything that you are. You're going to have to repent of your sin and follow Christ. You're going to have to submit to his law. You're going to have to admit that you are wrong and that he is right. I don't know about you, but I hate it when someone tells me I'm wrong. Do you? It's hard to hear. So this Catholic church says, I, we don't, mm, we're, kind of, we're kind of slack, like our attendance is down. The coffers are emptying. How can we get more people in the door? Love God, love people. There's so many denominations who are taking the same track. There's so many false prophets and teachers who are doing the exact same thing because they've been deceived. It's subtle, and it's happening right here and right now. So here's the big thing. Verse, chapter 3, verse 24 says, whoever keeps his commandment, abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit in whom he has given us. So let me ask you a question. How can you know that you abide in God and he abides in you? Because that's really the big thing. That's the ultimate question you're going to have to ask yourself. How do you know that God's in you? How do you know that he's saved you? How do you know that you're his? Verse four, 
Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. So, so John is saying this, hey, this antichrist guy, it's scary. These false prophets, it's scary because it's so subtle and I can't warn you enough. I cannot warn you enough, I promise. I promise it's scary, but little children. It's like when I look at my daughter who's scared in the middle of the night and I say, hey, baby. Hey, little girl. Hey, little children. Everything is gonna be okay. You're from God and have overcome these false teachers then. These spirits. And how do we, we know that these, they're overcome? How can they be assured that they actually have overcome this? It's because they're still there. They haven't walked away with the false prophets and followed them like many others have that we saw in chapter two. They're still there. They're reading this letter that was sent to them, that was sent to the church. They're, they're hearing these words straight from the the scroll or whatever, I don't know, carried by a pigeon. I don't know how they got it there, but they're still there. They didn't believe the deception. He's saying, you didn't believe the counterfeit. You didn't walk away. You weren't led astray. You are from God because you have overcome those teachings. You have kept the commandments. See, you haven't been deceived by the spirit of the Antichrist, but you believe the spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God. See how it all starts to tie in together. And you can be confident that you abide in God and God abides in you. But how? It's, that's not all he says. Little children, you're from God and overcome them. Here it is. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. <laughs> you can be confident that God is in you and that you are in God by the spirit that was given to you. He's the one who indwells you and he's the one who keeps you. He's the one who sustains you. See, here we see, this is the very power and beauty and just wonder of the gospel. Because it wasn't you that overcame the enemy at all. Left to yourselves, you would be defeated. It was God and his son Jesus and by the Holy Spirit and in this power, the one who's greater than the enemy. He has overcome. He has overcome. He's the victor. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It is, yeah, this is it. And you were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work at the sons of disobedience among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead and your trespasses made us alive together in Christ, by grace you have been saved. And he lift, raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And hear this. You ready? 
so that in the coming ages he might show that the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here it comes. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. Excuse me, not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's God who is the victor. You're dead. Dead. Just like the rest of mankind. Completely deceived by the false teachings of the false prophets of our enemy Satan in this world. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Believing everything against God. Blind to see, hardened of heart. And because God was rich in mercy and because he loved you, he made you alive. You didn't do it. By grace you're saved through faith. He didn't just give you the grace even. He gave you the faith. It is all a work of God. Period. Hands down. He is the victor. He has overcome. Guess what that means, church? There's nothing that can take you away and separate you from the love of Christ. He'll hold you forever. You can be confident that you'll never be plucked from his hand, that you'll never be led astray. You've kept his commandments. You've believed in the son. This Jesus who's from God, this very son who came in the flesh. And Romans says this, through him we are more than conquerors. So I ask you the question, Today, will you believe the counterfeit or will you believe the conqueror? Verse 5. They're from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the, world's, the world listens to them. See, this verse explains why all these crazy cults and religions, all of these just leaders who are just absolutely nutso, you know what I'm talking about? Like just bananas. They say crazy stuff, and you're like, this person's a fool, a clown. This verse explains why people follow him, why they can amass huge followings of people. They're blind to see it. It's the message of the world. It's the, t- the spirit of the world, the teaching of the Antichrist, the teaching of the world. They follow it because they're part of the world. That's what they do. See, but the hard truth is this, is that there are some of you in this room right now who are listening to the counterfeits. You might not be following the crazy ones, but you're being led astray. You've bought into ideologies that are of this world, whether they're spiritual or political or social, little subtle doctrines. Hey, believer, I'm talking to you. False teachings are surrounding us now, more than ever. They're right there in your pocket. They're on your timeline. They're on your television. And they're subtle. And they're saying things like, well, love is love. And you can be who you want to be, I guess. God loves you, so why would he condemn who you are? They're saying stuff like, man, if you... If you tell them that they're wrong, how, how can you do that? You're a sinner. And you go, oh, yeah, you're probably right. We've seen it big time in the past couple of years, the transgender movement. 
seen it recently with Roe versus Wade. The mob says they demonize you and they break you down so it's just easy to just go with the flow and go, you know what? Maybe it's not that big of a deal. It is. Little by little, you're being led astray. And to those of you who are not yet believers, what I have to say to you is really hard, but I have to, and this is how I end today. You're believing a lie. You're listening and agreeing with everything that just sounds good, it sounds nice, it might promote love and tolerance. You're rejecting the stark truth that there is only one way, that there is only one truth, there's only one life, and that's Jesus alone. You're believing as long as you're living a certain way, going to church maybe, you're here today. Maybe that, maybe being kind, being a good person. So you're being deceived that it is, and it's left you completely blind to what the truth really is. You've hardened your heart, and you believe that you don't need Jesus. You're wrong. Boy, that's tough. And I know that's not going to be popular if I'm talking to you, but you are wrong. You're not good enough. The truth is that there's only wrath waiting for you and judgment. And the verdict that you'll get when God judges you is guilty. The consequence is eternal. The punishment is in a real hell, a real hell, separated from God in torment. And this is all the more terrifying because there's absolutely nothing that you can do to prevent it. (laughs) And I'm not saying this to you to judge you. I'm not saying this to condemn you, to preach hellfire and brimstone, to shame you, to make you fear because none of those things are of the Spirit. I come to you with the truth that the Holy Spirit of God is revealed in his word about Jesus. It's not too late. There's hope for you. And in your helplessness, there's hope. You need a conqueror, and there's one that's been provided for you. So what are you to do about it? Here and now, cry out to God. Cry out to the Spirit and say, he can open your eyes to the darkness of your sin and the marvelous light of salvation that's in Jesus. Today, you can repent of your sin to turn away from it and turn toward God to believe and confess that Jesus is a Lord, to submit your life to his authority and rule, and in him you will overcome. You will be more than a conqueror. But don't take my word for it. The last verse says we're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The apostles are saying, listen to us. You know where we have all the apostles' teachings? In this book. Believer, are you reading it? Because you'll never be able to discern from what is right and wrong, what's true and what's false, what is the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If you don't read this book, don't take my word for anything of this today. Take this word today. You want to be guarded against being led astray? All you need is this Bible in your hand and the Spirit in your heart. If you want to know what it's like to be set free from your sin, I'd love to talk to you after this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good. You are a conqueror. 
God, I, I know I've just rambled on for a long time, and I, I just pray that anything that I said that was not sound, you would strike from our hearts. God, that you would just reinforce that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, that he's worthy to be trusted. God, I pray that you would, in your power, save today. God, I pray for our church that we would be watchful, that we would discern things, that we would test every spirit. God, make us people who love your word, God, who trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name, amen.